Wow. A few weeks ago, Dr. McClarty came up after a sermon and says, you know what we need? If you don't mind, we need to have a sermon sometime that's going to deal with Christian education and get some of the academy people here to set up a booth or something. And he no more than said that on Sabbath and that next week I got a phone call from Dr. McKenzie. And he said, you know what, the conference would like to have me go to the constituent churches of Mesa Grande Academy and present a sermon and, and uh, maybe we can kind of set up things for around Christian education. So that's how we set it up. The Lord is amazing how he works things out, isn't he? And we're glad to have Dr. McKenzie here to be able to share with us one question that I have to ask. In the bulletin, we had our regular tithes and offerings. We had listed a special offering. We had the children's offering. And your sermon says, show me a penny. Oh, wow. Do you want an offering, too? <laughs> we'll find out. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for your warm welcome. Brother Pierre, as you were singing... I was frantically searching my Bible, hoping that the Tenth Commandment was not there. Thou shalt not covet. Because I found myself coveting you. But unfortunately, the commandment is still there. So, I tried to substitute the word. I said, well, maybe if I steal it, I didn't covet it. I, but that didn't let me off the hook. And um, maybe if I ask you for it, I, that's still coveting, I... But what a beautiful voice you have. Beautiful. Yeah, praise be to God. And um, when I get to heaven, I will try to sing like you. That was beautiful. Thanks for the opportunity to be here today. For the last 14 years, I have served as the head principal of Loma Linda Academy. And as of July 1, I began a new assignment with the conference to be the education evangelist for the conference, that is to travel the conference all around to teach and preach Adventist Christian education, to see if by some means God will allow us to spark a new renaissance in Adventist Christian education. So, Pastor, thank you so much. It seemed the Spirit was just working at the right time, because at the time of my call, little did I know that you were contemplating a Christian education sermon. This morning, uh, Mr. Grandy has a booth set up outside and you are one of the constituent churches and I personally want to thank you for your support over the years. Mesa Grande Academy is your first offspring. That's your first child. And um, your support over the years has made a difference in scores of young people and heaven alone will be able to compute for you the impact and the influence you have had on these young people over the years. Um, stop by the booth today. There are some materials there. And I've asked Brother Ed, the business manager, to distribute some cards to me at this time. We have something very exciting to announce even before I speak today. We are currently working on an entry-level scholarship for every Adventist child who is not currently attending an Adventist school. 
And I brought a, some cards with me here. If you have a child, K-12, that will be available for school next year, fill out one of these cards and leave it today. And strangely enough, or interestingly enough, you are the first church that I will have promoted this entry-level scholarship. It's a scholarship that will allow your child to enter one of our academies, one of our schools next year. And by God's grace, for the remaining, remaining years of their lives. So, if you have a child, K-12, that's not now currently attending one of our schools, and in particular Mesa Grande, fill that card out, please. Leave the information with us. And I will be sure that when the scholarships are distributed, that your church gets first dibs, because you are the number one church that I would have promoted that this year. The title of my sermon, Show Me a Penny. Show Me a Penny. A penny is not worth very much these days. As a matter of fact, researchers tell us that it will cost you more energy to just bend down and pick up a penny than a penny is worth. A little bit of copper is not worth very much. But I hope that by the end of my message this morning, you will have a new appreciation for a penny. I travel with a penny in my wallet all the time. And this started many years ago when I was stone broke. I mean stone broke as a student in graduate school. And as I scrounged around, broke all the piggy banks, looking for whatever I could put together to put food on the table for my wife and my two daughters, I came upon penny, many pennies and ever since that day, I have always carried a penny in my wallet. So my wallet is never really empty. Because on this penny is inscribed the word, In God we trust. So a penny reminds me to trust in God. And if you were to come to my home now, you would notice that there are pennies in just about every corner in my home. So where, whenever I'm vacuuming or dusting the furniture... I'm always seeing a penny in the corner reminding me, in God we trust. This morning, however, the penny carries a different message. And I hope that God will bless your heart as we consider Christian education under the topic, Show Me a Penny. Let us pray. Open our eyes this morning, O God, so that we may behold things new and old out of your wondrous word. And Lord, may we not just live by bread alone and your word, but by, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So open our hearts this morning to feel like Jesus feels, an unquenchable love for all of our children, young and old. And send forth your dynamic and living word today, your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word that penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. And may this word not return unto you void. But may it accomplish the task, the very purpose for which you sent it this hour. Let all of God's people say, Amen. Show me a penny. Everything we do in life 
is preparing us for one of two eternities. Every choice we make, every journey we undertake, we must begin with the end in mind, for the destination is more important than the journey. God's people must be equipped with what I call anticipatory intelligence. That is, behaving in a way that is in alignment with what we know is going to happen, what we anticipate will happen. To put it another way, it is like knowing the end of the story before you actually get there. And you and I are privileged to know the end of the story and our anticipatory intelligence tells us how to act and how to behave even before we get to the end. In every person's life, there is something that is more important than anything else. What is it in your life that is more important than anything else? That takes prominence, that occupies the pinnacle, the center, the pivot, the axis of your life. I invite you this morning, as Isaiah calls us, to come now and let us reason together. I want us to reason together this morning about Adventist Christian education. And Isaiah promises us, if we are willing and obedient, willing and obedient, the operative words, then God will bless us and he will give us the best of the land. Whether we are using a GPS to find our destination or building a home, the end product or outcome will largely determine the steps that you and I take to get there. Because as I say, the destination is more important than the journey. Let us now put our cerebral acuity and astuteness together, our spiritual sharpness, and reason together anew about Adventist Christian education. It is time, says the prophet, to give the trumpet a certain sound, for we are living in a grand and awful time. Who and whose are we? It is no news to Adventist believers that we were made in the image of God. Genesis 1 and verse 26. Let us make man in our own image. By creation and by redemption, we and our children bear his seal of ownership. We belong to God. Made by God in his workshop by his hands. Every child that opens the womb Where's Calvary's price tag around his or her neck? And the price is always right. For God's Son, Jesus Christ, paid that price for our ransom. His very blood. His very blood. In Psalm 127 and verse 3, the psalmist reminds us, that children are the heritage of the Lord. They are something we inherit. That word heritage, we inherit. Something that did not belong to us. They are given to us by God, passed down to Him, to us rather, by Him. There is today in society an intense child custody battle. As a principal, for many years, I have been in the middle of child custody battle 
and children attending school and who has visitation rights and who does not have visitation rights. But Satan has launched a child custody battle with you and me over our children. But beloved, there is no question as to who owns our children. Because as I have quoted to you from scripture, they were made in the image of God and they are the heritage of God. Satan should have no visiting rights to our children. Because our children belong to God and to God alone. It is time that you and I as parents, as educators, as members of God's family, put on our game face and go back, go into Satan's territory and take back the ones that he has already stolen. When I say game face, I mean put on your real game face. Sometimes when you look at the athletes sitting on the bench and maybe it's the Super Bowl, each team member has their game face on. It's not a face that is smiling as if it's going to be a big party. Though there will be a party afterwards for somebody. It's a game face that tells you this is a battle. This is a fight and I'm going to win. It is time that you and I as God's ambassadors on earth put on our game face of seriousness and go in for the devil's camp. Because beloved I declare Satan has stolen many of God's children. What will we do, not do to rescue them? The dramatic happenings of this week. As 33 miners were rescued from half a mile down into the ground. What would God not do to rescue you and me? What would you and I not do to rescue our children if they were buried half a mile down into the belly of the earth? And yet, many of them are stolen, held captives by Satan. It is time God's people get busy. Take back our children that Satan has stolen. That is why the Bible tells us in Malachi and in Luke that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send you the prophet Elijah and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just lest I come and smite the earth God recognized that in the last day it would be a family message a message to family that would help to prepare the earth for the return of Jesus Christ God does not need visiting rights to our children they are his they are not in joint custody between Satan and God. They are His. They are God's. Too often Satan is given prime time visiting rights to our children. And he comes only to destroy and to kill. That's what the Bible says. You may be playing a game with your children. But Satan is not playing a game. He comes with one purpose in mind. To maim them, to destroy them, to kill them. Our children are God's by eminent domain. By creation and redemption, they are His. Each child is a limited edition. And I like the way you put it this morning, brother, in Sabbath school. Each child is unique. Each child is a limited edition. Unique. Suffer the little children, Christ appeals to us to come unto me. You see, when God made children... He made them positively Christotrophic. 
The little biology that I remember from my high school years tells me that there are some plants that are positively phototrophic. They kind of turn towards the light. And some of the roots are positively hydrotrophic. They kind of go towards water. God made each boy, each girl that opens the womb positively Christotrophic. That's why when Jesus walked this earth, they were always reaching out to Jesus. And if we let them, they will just bend towards their Savior. Positively Christotrophic. The minds of our children are very fragile. So they must be handled with care. True education begins at the lower level of the age spectrum. The earlier they learn about God, the more long-lasting their knowledge of Him will be. You know, I've heard some Adventist families reason that, Oh, I'll just send them to the public school to secular education for the early years. And when they get to the junior high years, the troubled years, I will send them to an Adventist school. Too late! During the formative years, the early years, one to seven, the children develop their value system and they begin to make their friends and their compass is set as the direction of their lives. Uh, that kind of a reasoning, I'll send them to secular education for the first five, ten, the first ten years and then to Adventist school is like saying, I'm going to build a house, but I'm going to put on the roof first before I put the foundation in. The foundation has to go in first. For God or for Caesar. Take your Bibles and turn with me. And thank you Liz for the beautiful rendition of the scripture lesson for the morning. Matthew chapter 22. A beautiful lesson in this for us about how we raise God's children. In the context, the Herodians were a political party who were loyal to Rome. The Pharisees were a religious sect who opposed the Roman rule. So the Herodians and the Pharisees were bitter enemies. But it's interesting in the story... Both the Herodians and the Pharisees joined their efforts to take down Jesus. How often do we see enemies come together just for a temporary or convenient arrangement to accomplish a common task? The enemies, the Pharisees and the Herodians came together and they say, you know, this guy Jesus is just getting too popular. We're going to take him down. We're going to find a way to knock him down. So cut him down to level. And so they instructed their disciples to go find Jesus. And when you find him, we want you to go ask him a particular question. When the disciples came to Jesus, the first thing you notice they said in the scriptures, they began to praise him. Oh master, oh rabbi, you are the best one from God. You are the only one. You teach with authority. You are the one who we can listen to. And after they had completely buttered him both sides, they moved in with the question. They moved in with the question. Should we or should we not pay taxes to Caesar? Their question was not about money. I declare to you this morning, beloved. It was not about money. It was about authority and lordship. It was about allegiance and ownership. They weren't interested in money. They wanted to trick God because you see, they wanted to keep going, singing on and on, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. So, they trick question, but Jesus read their hearts. So Jesus said, show me a penny. And someone reached into his purse and pulled out a penny. And Jesus said, 
whose portrait do you see on the penny? I said to him, Abraham Lincoln, God, that's what I see right here. Well, it says Caesar's. It is Caesar's portrait that is imprinted. And whose signature do you see on the penny? They said, well, Lord, it is Caesar's. And Jesus answered, well, render or give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God what is God's. They were dumbfounded. How did we let him get out of this one so smoothly? The entrap this entrapment story has a far greater meaning and implication than merely paying taxes to Caesar. It has within it the eternal principle about what we do with God's heritage, our children. For Jesus is Lord. He is their creator. He is their redeemer. He is their savior. You and I have two choices only. God is such a wonderful God. He does not give us multiple choices with choices and ending. He gives us two choices about the important things in life. Life and death, he says, I place before you. Two choices. The wheat or the tares. On which side do you want to belong? The sheep or the goats? The right or the left hand? True or false? The narrow or the broad way? He gives us but two choices. Christ or the Antichrist? God or Baal? God or Mammon? The seal of God or the mark of the beast? Heaven or hell? And now, God or Caesar? Two choices only. He makes it easy for you and me. And I hear some people say, well, I, I, don't have to, I don't want to choose now. I just choose neutral. With God, there is no neutrality. We are on one side or the other side. There is no neutrality. You may have a car, your car in neutral gear, but that does not get you anywhere. And so won't neutrality in human affairs. When I put my car in neutral, it, it coasts along. But it won't take me up that hill that I need to get over. It may take me to the bottom of the hill. Because it coasts down to the bottom. But when I really want to do the work that I'm set out to do, i got to engage it in gear. One or the other. The visible portrait of God is seen in our boys and girls. Take a good look at your boys and girls. Look into their faces. Whose portrait and signature do you see? Is it not the portrait of God? Is it not the portrait, the signature of Jesus Christ in their lives? Every human being, including Adam and Eve, was made in God's image. They bear His portrait because God says, I will make them into my own image. It is not Caesar's portrait that we see in their faces. Jesus signed his signature in blood on the life of every boy and girl that includes you and me. With the only indivaluable, irreducible currency, his very own priceless blood. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in Isaiah 49 and verse 16, See, I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. In other words, they, you will never ever be forgotten. Ellen White says that the nail prints will be in the hands of Jesus throughout all eternity. As a permanent reminder of the price that he paid 
for the life of you and me and for every boy and for every girl. As a matter of fact, Jesus wants us to remember it so much that he has engraved two M's in your hands. Look in your right hand. Don't you see an M? The Messiah. Look in the other hand. Don't you see another M? Mercy. The Messiah of mercy. I do a little palm reading, you know. It tells you that Jesus Christ is your Messiah of mercy. So even as he bears in his hands the nail prints forever and ever, so you and I will bear in our hands the Messiah of mercy forever and ever, reminding us that we were saved by the priceless blood of Jesus Christ. Because God owns our children and shows His portrait in their faces and His signature in their lives, how can we not render unto God the little one, ones that are God's? For we have but two choices. Two choices. Have you ever contemplated the question, why did God give us children? I want to answer that for you. I have included this text in every education sermon that I preach. So if you hear any of the other ten in this series, you will hear this text. It is so important. This text is so important. As a matter of fact, I feel like taking off my shoes from off my feet because this text is holy ground text. It is so important. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15. It is a text that the Lord revealed to me years ago as I struggled about why did God give us children. The very last book in the Old Testament. We like to call it the tithe chapter because that's the very chapter that says, Will a man rob God? Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15. Why did God give us children? And when I say us, I talk about parents in the first context here. Why? Look at how it reads. Has not the Lord made them one? This one that the text is talking about is the same one that is spoken about in Genesis 2 and verse 24. When it says, and, uh, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife and they shall become one. That's the same one that is being referenced here. Has not the Lord made them one? And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. That's the only reason that God gives us children to make them into godly offspring. I hear some people quote Psalm and says, well, yeah, the children are heritors of the Lord and um, blessed is the man who has his quiver full. You see, back there, the quiver full well, were hands, extra hands in the field. The quiver full were extra men to pull the door to defend the family. God did not give us children to take care of our needs. God did not give us children to defend us. God gave us children to make them into godly offspring. Let me speak to the families, the young couples that do not have children as yet. If you do not plan to train your children to be godly offspring, don't have them. Go barren. Because it will be a bitter day when God calls for the little ones that he has blessed you with. And they are not with you to be presented at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your only reason that God gives you children is to make them into godly offspring. If you make them into anything else 
and fail to make them into godly offspring, you are a dismal failure. I don't like to sound that way, but I just got to tell you the truth. Just got to tell you the plain truth. Godly offspring. You see, God, that's a prenuptial agreement that God makes with you and me. You know, I heard recently the, the owners of the Dodgers are fighting about, well, who owns the Dodgers and what was written in the prenuptial agreement and who was going to get what and who was not going to get what. Well, God makes a prenuptial agreement with every man and woman that he makes into one, that the children will be mine, Psalm 127 and verse 3, and that they will be godly offspring. There's no wiggle room out of that. Godly simply means devout and religious and, and spiritual and God-fearing and moral and holy and pure and virtuous and reverent. That is God's gift of children to us. He gives, with us, gives to us with them a moral compass. Godly offspring. He tells you where they are to point. I say they are positively Christotrophic. Uh, they, are, they, are, they, are, they, are, they are going to turn towards God. Godly offspring. Anything outside of that makes us a failure. It is their true birthright to be godly offspring. It is their God-appointed destiny. It is their God-appointed direction. It is their God-appointed enabling. A deposit of strength and staying power for the journey. Godly offspring. That's the reason God gives us children. I was reading a book recently, The Biology of Belief, and the author made one statement in there that has stuck in my mind. He said, genes are not self-emergent. In other words, if you inherit the gene to say, to develop cancer, that gene in itself is not self-emergent. It's not going to give you cancer. It needs a trigger. It needs something else to trigger that gene. In other words, your children, though God has given them the DNA, that is the divine natural ability to be godly offspring, it needs a trigger to start them on the journey. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. That's the answer to that text. A lot of people have argued about what training means. If they like music, let them go anywhere. It has nothing to do with that. It means that God created them to be godly offspring. G-O. That's the way they are to go. So we train up our children to be godly offspring. That answers that question. What does God want us to do with our children? Godly offspring. Where Christ is concerned, godly children is the only thing. It's not the main thing. Or it's not one of the things. It's the only thing. Because when Jesus returns, we are told in Jeremiah chapter 13, He will ask of every family, every church, every school, Where is the little flock that I have given to you? And I pray God that each one of us in our various entities will be able to say, Here Lord is a little flock that you have given unto me. Godly. You have put them on the right path. 
There comes a time of accountability where they, they must make decisions for themselves. But the early responsibility belongs to you and me to put them on the right path and train them in a way where they can become godly. Our sons and our daughters, like trees planted by the rivers of waters, and the daughters polished after the similitude of a palace, fit only for the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God. The biggest loser when Jesus returns is not the person who has lost the most money in the stock market. I lost some. But it is the parent whose child did not become a godly offspring. What an irredeemable loss. What occupies a man's, a, a man's heart or mind empties his pocket. I've heard some families say, well, Adventist education is too expensive. It's not a matter of how much is it, is it going to cost. It's how much is it worth. Is eternity too expensive? I have not had one yes to that question since I've been asking it. Adventist education is not an expense. It's an investment in the eternity of our children. Years ago when Mary Lou Retton became the golden star of America in gymnastics, I remember reading her story and what her mother did to make her into a gold, um, a, a gold medal winner. She gave up her job. She moved from where she was living. She did everything possible because she had seen in her child, she had seen in her child this ability to tumble and to toss and to be a gymnast. Beloved friends, that was for a little piece of gold that is perishable really, that is going to be left behind. You and I, when we look into the faces of our children, we see more than gold medals. We see the face of God in the faces of our children. And more importantly, we see eternal life for which they were created. What will we not do therefore to help our children win? Eternal life. Isaiah 54 and verse 13 tells us, All God's children must be taught of the Lord. Or some renditions say, By the Lord. And that's a commandment. And I want to illustrate to you, That's a commandment. That's not a suggestion. Here's my illustration. Everywhere I travel, I go with this little illustration. Because it makes my point. A few years ago, my daughter called me. I got home before her and she said, Daddy, when you get home, could you put my clothes in the dryer for me? I said, sure, honey. Uh, you have to understand, I have two daughters. They're both over six feet tall. So they are taller than me. I'm only five, ten and a half. Maybe five, ten and three quarter. You know, I mean, inching up a little inch more. So when I got home, I went over to the dryer, put out the washer, took out the clothes, put them in the dryer. And when she got home, she said, Daddy, look what you have done. I said, what, sweetheart? I just put your clothes in the dryer. She came over to me with her nice woolen blouse and said, Daddy, look at my blouse. Look at what you have done. I, I said, you know, I was just a little bit ahead of Britney Spears to, 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 to kind of invent uh, uh, the, the, the open midriff kind of a, you know what I mean? I said, sweetheart, she should pay me for having invented her. As a matter of fact, I think Britney Spears must have seen this one before she invented this first one. Well, you know, I said, I'm sorry, sweetheart. 
I, I am sorry, but I just scooped out all the clothes. I didn't take time to read what was on the instruction. And so I said, let me see the blouse. And I took the blouse and I, I read the instruction. Hand wash cold separately. Use mild detergent. Do not bleach. Reshape while damp. Dry flat. For best results, dry clean. And I say, uh-oh. It's not that I ignored the manufacturer's instructions. I really just didn't see it. But this makes a point. You know, there are many of us that are ignoring the thus saith the Lord when it comes on to our children. He made them. We established that already. So he knows what is best for them. So when he tells us in Isaiah 54 and verse 13 that all God's children must be taught of the Lord, that's not a suggestion. As a matter of fact, I, I like to say that's not a suggestment. That's a word I just invented because it rhymes with commandment. That's not a suggestment. It is a commandment. Just like the manufacturers of this garment didn't intend these to be suggestions. Because they knew if we took them as suggestions and did as we please, this would be the result. And today our children are being permanently altered. Because some of us are ignoring the suggestion, the commandments of God, taking them as suggestions, and we are not allowing all of our children to be taught of the Lord. God's commandments mean just that. As a matter of fact, I like to re regard Isaiah 54, 13 as, as the first amendment to the fifth commandment. Which says, honor your mother and your father. All God's children must be taught of the Lord. Environment matters. This sweater just happened to get into the wrong environment. And this was the result. Environment matters. I hear some people say, no, I can send him to secular education because it's only a little bit of a difference. It's same education plus Bible in our school. No, no, no. Environment matters. A little difference can make a big difference. Have you ever considered the little difference between carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide? CO2 and CO, one molecule of oxygen. That's the only difference between carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide. And right now you and I are breathing carbon dioxide. About 17-18% of the atmosphere is made up of that. But carbon monoxide, go to your garage, lock the garage, turn your car on, let it run for five minutes and you will no, be no more carbon monoxide. One one molecule of oxygen difference. A little difference can make a big difference, even a deadly one. And it is creating the same results in many of our children. They are coming to us disfigured. They are coming to us changed because they were placed in the wrong environment and they all of a sudden have suffered a deadly wound. The wrong environment. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Public schools educate 87% of the young people in America. So public schools are important. They are important. They educate most of the children. As a matter of fact, I dare say to some of you I know must teach in the public school. Right ahead, Go right ahead. God wants you there. Daniel never worked for the church. Neither did Joseph. Esther didn't work for the church. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not work for the church. God wanted them where he placed them so that they could be of influence for him in the secular kingdoms of the world. Not even Jesus worked for the church. Pastor, they wouldn't let him when he was on earth. Jesus never worked for the church. He was an itinerant preacher going from place to place, but he never worked for the church. So keep on doing what you're doing. God wants you there. 
what the Bible tells us very clearly, all God's children must be taught of the Lord. It is only people who know God can teach our children about God. Too many families are rationalizing, rationalizing away why they have to send them to public school. Well, it costs less. You know, beloved, it is not everything that is cheap is free. It's free, right? I said it wrong. Not everything that is free is cheap. A few years ago, uh, one of my teachers said, Oh, Loma Linda University is giving away these big lights, poles, and we could use them for athletic field, and, and um, they are free. They said, just get someone come over and take them. And we said, sure, they are free. And someday we plan to install some lights on our athletic field so that they could play na- soccer at night and so on and so forth. Well, you know, $250,000 later, the free, free light poles went up. We got them free. Didn't cost us a penny. But it cost us $250,000 to install them. Not everything that is free is cheap. I said it wrong. No, that's the correct way. Not everything that is free is cheap. It will cost. So sometimes families are saying, well, it is free, I will make use of it right now. No, no, no. It may cost you the eternal life of your children. Alright, that's illustration one. Illustration number two. Because you're going to remember more of what you see today than what you hear, I guarantee you. Illustration number two. It takes three entities. Three entities. See if I can get it open here. There we go. Three entities to educate our children. In the beginning... When God created Adam and Eve, he created three universal social structures. The home, the church, and the school. Three of them. God was the first teacher, the first pastor, and the first parent. Perfect environment. Couldn't have gotten it better. And then he placed Adam and Eve. Oops, Adam and Eve. Let's call these Adam and Eve. Look like male and female here. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, right in that environment. Right there. Two of them. Adam and Eve. And these three universal social structures were going to be the ones that would protect the children. As a matter of fact, this little enclave in here becomes what I call the city of refuge. This uh, little contraption that I made is called a tetrahedron. It is a four-sided triangle. Four-sided triangle. Kind of sounds like an oxymoron. Triangle three. But this is a four-sided triangle. And I was made to understand that many of the satellites that are now beaming your cell phone signals and so on are made like tetrahedrons. Because you see, when one side of the satellite, this one, is facing the sun, taking the direct beating of the sun, the other two sides are acting like cooling, having a cooling effect on them. And God is a mighty, wonderful God. This is the very same thing that happens here. Follow me now. God created Adam and Eve, placed them in this tetrahedron. Right in here. The home. Let's start with the home. At home, it is your responsibility to start them out as being godly offspring. That's where procreation begins. That's where God gives you your children. Well, you know, if a home does not do its work properly, and it 
Maybe even leave the gate even half open. That is, you sharing joint custody between you and God and the devil for your children, even half open. Then the security of your child is compromised. And then these other two sides won't even need to work. So the home really needs in this gated community to do its work and do it very well. Because it is only as it does it 100% that it will be able to help the school. Many think, well, I'll send them out and when they get bad and they begin to, um, to, to, to show the, the, the teenage rebellion, I'll bring them to the Adventist school. Well, that's not going to work. Because that time, the school won't be able to do a very effective job. And if the school does not do a good job and its gate is half open or open all the way, then the security of your little ones here is also compromised. Same thing with the church. The, other, the church has to work in this third part of this triangle. If the church does not do its part in educating and protecting these little ones, then it makes no sense you even have any of the gates closed. You may as well say to them, come on Satan, come on in. Not only share joint custody, but have them. All three must work together. And it is only when all three work together that the security of these children will be so, so well established that nothing will be able to get them out. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us through Isaiah, I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. But God needs home, church and school to work together to make this tetrahedron work to protect our children. And the side that does not move on which they sit is the word of God. Any education that does not elevate the word of God as the divine word of God that does not elevate God as the creator of the earth, that does not elevate Jesus as the savior of the world, is teaching everything about nothing and nothing about the things that mean everything. Let me rewind that and say it again. Any education, any education that does not elevate the word of God as divine, that does not elevate the Creator God, that does not elevate Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, is teaching everything about nothing and nothing about the things that mean everything. I'm going to wrap it up now. How do our children learn? It is more what is caught than what is taught. Many of our children are placed in environments, according to Psalm 1, people who are mockers, who are skeptics, who are agnostics, who are Satanists, who are alternative lifestylists. And it is not so much what is taught, but what is caught. The environment in which they are placed. You don't have to tell a child many things. Have you ever seen a, a, a six-month-year-old baby look at you? You kind of do an x-ray. Their eyes are like MRI. They look right through you like a CAT scan. Like they are doing an ultrasound to see what is on the inside of you. Children are perceptive. They can speak, but they can read you and tell you, should I go to this person or should I cry if they attempt to take me? They can speak, but they can read. And as they grow older, they read us more than we can imagine. When we place our children under the tutelage of people who do not love God, people who mock God and are infidels and agnostic and atheists and satanists, the children catch what they have.
Ellen White says in education page 50, There are two classes of educators. Those whom God makes a channel of light and the other class whom Satan uses as his agents who are wise to evil. God's education plan is that all of God's children must be taught of the Lord. Let me give you some statistics before I close. You know, beloved, you know what is the largest single group of people who send their children to private and Christian schools? Public servants. You go and Google it and see if I'm telling you the truth today. Just go in and put out public school, uh, public people who send their children to private schools. 54% of senators across this country send their children to private or to Christian schools. 66% of congressmen. But listen to this. Anywhere from 25 to 54% of public school teachers and administrators send their children to Christian or private schools. When they interviewed, the Washington Times interviewed some teachers and say, well, why do you, why do you, you teach in this system, but you send your children to a Christian school? Why? This is the answer. The answer is ADA, I call it. ADA. First they said, the, the, the atmosphere in the Christian school is better. Then they say the discipline is better. And this one is going to knock your socks off. They say the achievement is higher. Isn't that amazing? These people will not send the children to the system in which they teach. But yet there are Adventist families who are running to go to what they refuse. Doesn't make sense to me. Your ch child will not get a better education anywhere than they receive in an Adventist school. As a matter of fact, it is better if your child makes it to the kingdom half educated than to receive all the education they want and do not make it to, to heaven. That's Jesus' teaching. Better you go to heaven with one eye. That's what Jesus says. Or with one hand. Than to go to hell with both. It's the inconvenient truth this morning, I know. But I'm making it plain that God wants your children and my children to be a part of Christian education, Adventist Christian education. And that's why we are taking the initiative this year, for this next school year, 2011-2012, to provide a huge scholarship for every non-attending Adventist child. Because this is where your child belongs. And if it's going to cost you everything you have, that's all right. Because when all of the bling-blings and the ching-chings in this earth have passed, you would hope that your child or your children are with you to walk into the kingdom of God. I close with my last illustration. Just a simple old seatbelt. Do you know that 63% of the young people who die on American streets in car accidents die because they are not wearing their seatbelts? Seatbelts do not prevent accidents. But they can protect you in the event of one. Adventist education is like a seatbelt. It won't prevent your child from doing wrong or even going astray. It will not. But in the event of temptation, it will protect them. Because we are told... That once 
The seed of God has been planted in their heart. They may wander away like the prodigal. But sooner or later they will find their way right back home. Right back home. And so God calls you this morning to click it or tick it. To lock them up with God. Buckle them up in the home, school, and church environment where they can become godly offspring. And so he calls you and me this morning. Come out of them, my people. Revelation chapter 18 and verse 4. And when that text was written, Ellen White says he was not just calling the adult worshippers out of false worship. He was calling for our children to come out of the secular influence of secular education. Come out from among them, my people. It is time for another exodus. And I would hope that, Brother Alfred, that on Monday morning, you will have some people knocking on your door. Not another day under the influence of Caesar. Not another day under the influence of secular education because they are in the wrong environment and it is going to create some major, major problems. As a matter of fact, they are going to be altered just like the sweater was altered. Permanently altered. This is my appeal to you this morning. Show me a penny. Show me a penny. Show me the face of your child. If you see God's image in the face of your child and his signature in their life, then render unto God the things that are God's. If you believe that children are his by creation and redemption, then render unto God the things that are God's. If heaven is their destination and yours, then render unto God the things that are God's. If you want children to delight in the way of the Lord, then render unto God the things that are God's. If you believe that God gave us children, you children, to make them into godly offspring, then render unto God the things that are God's. If your greatest gain is to see your children in the kingdom of God, then render unto God the things that are God's. If no sacrifice for the salvation of your children is greater than the sacrifice of Christ that Christ made for us and for them, then let's render unto God the things that are God's. If, we, if it will profit us nothing, if we gain the whole world and lose our children, let us render unto God the things that are God's. If we desire that every child that God has blessed us with will someday answer to the call to say, Here am I, God. Then let us render unto God the things that are God's. Show me a penny. Show me a penny. And I will show you a reason to do whatever it takes to render unto God the things that are God's. I've asked Brother Ed and maybe Alfred, he has some cards here. There are some of you here this morning who probably will want to sign this card, this commitment card. Let me tell you, there are three things on there. Number one, there are some of you who are able to help fund children to Adventist school. Your children are done with school already. You have a little money you can invest in someone for eternity. And you want to say, I want to invest in a child. Number two, you want to say, I want to become a part of the local booster club. That is, I will be a part of the members in this church who will actively promote Christian education. And number three, you want to say, I want to register my child to be in that three-part home school church environment. 
I want to render them unto God no matter what it costs. Because heaven is worth it all. If you want to make one of, our, of those three decisions or all of them, I'd like you to sign that card and leave it with me before you go today. Your RSVP right now, your RSVP right now to God is, whatever it takes, yes Lord, I'm coming and I'm bringing my children with me. Show me a penny and I will show you to whom our children belong. They each one belong to God. Thank you and God bless you.